All right, thank you so much, Susie. It's, it's just wonderful, again, to see how God is using people from this church to engage on mission, on, on what God is doing. And uh, it's been neat to just, the more I'm here to talk with people and see where you guys are involved in, in mission and what God is doing. And um, hopefully we'll, through this Engage Mission Conference, we'll see how you can engage, how you can be a part of what God is already doing in this world. So today, moving into our, our sermon, we're uh, still going through our series on the book of Colossians. And uh, this week we'll actually be finishing up the first chapter, so that's a bit of a celebration. Um, we're, we're doing Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And we, we've built up a lot of steam, but I'm, I'm going to, rather than uh, just starting with a review, uh, I want to ask you a question. I asked this at youth camp on Friday night, and I'm going to ask it to you again. Um, what would you say that everyone is chasing most in their lives? All their energy spent, uh, what are they chasing? And I'll, I'll just tell you what the, the youth uh, told me. They said, well, we think that everyone is chasing joy, success, and fulfillment. Those were, I could tell you who said those, <laughs> you know. That is exactly what they said. And I'm like, you guys nailed it. I, I truly think that everyone, in one way or another, is chasing either this joy, success, or fulfillment in their lives. But then the question comes, how are most people trying to get that? How are they trying to get that joy? Well, usually, they, they try to work really hard, you know, move up the ladder so that they can get a lot of stuff, or, or maybe they build a family or build relationships with people and expect that those things will bring them the joy, the success, and the, the uh, fulfillment that they're looking for. But I want to tell you today from Colossians here that most people want this happiness, but they're trying to get it in the wrong ways. Sure, they might be happy for a minute. You know, you think about it— um, you get a new car or something, and for a little while, every time you get in it, it's like, it's kind of exciting, you know, oh, this is just different than my last one. Two weeks in, though, it's, it's kind of, it's faded a little bit. Two months in, you know, you hardly think about it. Two years later, it, it doesn't bring you happiness anymore, and so we jump from one thing to another, trying to find this happiness, trying to find this satisfaction and fulfillment, but you know why that is, why, why it is that those things don't work? Because God has given us a way to have this type of joy. He's shown us the way of success and fulfillment, and that's not it. <laughs> Those things are not how we get it. Work and more stuff and even human relationships, um, they are not how we're supposed to be happy. And you know, you think about it, is it possible, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here, but let's just think, is it possible that the God of the universe who made you, who fashioned you, who wired your brain knows what will bring you the most joy, what will bring you the most satisfaction and fulfillment. Is it possible that he is right and we are wrong? I, I think it is very possible. And I mean, I'm along right here with you. You know, I, I look for it in the wrong places, but I need passages like this to point me back in the right direction. Now, we did spend the last two weeks answering the question, why do we want Jesus? What's, what's so good about him? You know, wh why does he get my whole life? And the answer was basically, well, Jesus is supremely awesome. And so it only makes sense that if Jesus is supremely awesome, it would be in seeking Jesus, in following Jesus, in experiencing Jesus, that we would find our supreme joy. 
That's why we, we spent so much time those last two weeks. I want you to see that if Jesus is supremely awesome, then he is the supreme fountain of joy. But I'm going to tell you something before we get into it. Jesus' path of joy looks a little bit different than the world's. <laughs> it does. Uh, I say a little different. They're pretty much exactly opposite of what the world says. And so we're going to look at it. We're going to read it in Colossians uh, chapter 1, 24 through 29. And what we're going to see here is Paul's ministry, how, how he follows Jesus. But then we're going to break that down and, and look at some principles that are applicable to all of us and how we should follow Jesus. So let's read it. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. <clears throat> Paul says, Now, after looking at all this uh, supremacy of Jesus, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's God's word. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the principles. Father God, you have created us, you have made our bodies, our minds, our hearts to function in a certain way. But God, because of sin, we've largely forsaken your plan for this type of joy and fulfillment that we're all seeking. So God, would you today show us that true joy doesn't always come on the easiest of paths. That true joy sometimes comes with heartache and pain and sorrow. God, let us choose the true joy and show us that through these verses today, God. I pray that you would use me, speak through me, get me out of the way. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So, we, we just read all this, and Paul started out in an interesting way there. And what that's going to give us, this first principle that I want us to look at that applies to all of us, is number one, the joy of suffering. The joy of suffering. I get that because Paul says in the beginning of verse 24, you see that in your notes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's interesting because we don't often see the words rejoice and sufferings in the same sentence unless they're talking about how one is keeping the other one from happening, you know. Um, but Paul says, I actually rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, I want us to remember, before we go any further, I just need to make this clear, that Paul is talking specifically of suffering for the sake of Christ and his body of the church. He is talking specifically of that. Because he's not saying I'm suffering because I'm a jerk or because I'm, I'm in this sin or anything like that. He's not even saying I'm suffering in general. And I realize something, and, and so I feel compelled to talk about it. I'm just going to pause it for a second. 
these truths in a lot of ways do apply to general suffering. I just want to say that, that if you are in something right now, some sort of suffering, some darkness, if you are seeking Christ above all things, if you are clinging to him as your only hope, then you can still rejoice in your sufferings. You can still rejoice. I'm going to uh, sort of explain that a little bit. My family right now, this past week and, and even the past few months, is going through some pretty tough trials. Uh, we, we really are. This is not necessarily uh, me and Hallie, um, but there, there's a lot of health things, and it's been tough. You know, it, it is hard for me that I've spent three days this past week watching my grandfather weep over his wife who is dying, his wife of 65 years. That, that's some tough stuff. It's been really tough dealing with a couple of my uncles who have terminal cancer. It's been, our family's gotten hit hard. That will rock you. That will wake you up from your comfortable little little stuff. But I want to tell you something. It has been amazing, amazing, I I don't have any other word for it, to see how God has been working in my family, in, in my larger family, through these trials. Not only that, it has been amazing to see how God has been reaching other people through the sufferings of my family. God is at work. God is in control, even in your darkest time, so you can rejoice in your suffering. That doesn't mean this stuff isn't tough. It's still tough to go and sit with my grandpa while he's crying, who I've never seen him cry in my entire life. It doesn't make it easy but it's still a cause for rejoicing. Paul says in one of his epistles, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The two can happen at the same time. So that's general suffering. I just wanted to pause and say that because I feel like I would be callous to be talking about the joy of suffering and not talk about general suffering. But Paul here is talking about specifically suffering for Christ, being persecuted because you are a Christian, because of those distinct differences. And so let me tell you some ways that you can rejoice in your suffering for Christ, for serving his church, for doing the ministry he's called you to do. First, it builds your assurance of salvation. That might sound odd, but suffering for Christ builds your assurance of salvation. And the reason is the Bible makes it very clear that if you are a Christian living a Christian life, then you will suffer for it. Let's listen uh, to 2 Timothy 3, 4. He says there, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There it is in black and white. So let me show you what Jesus says in John 15, 19 through 20. He's explaining this suffering for being a Christian. You know, why why am I suffering? Verse 19 Uh, says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. This is going to sound weird, but if you are never facing any kind of persecution, any kind of abrasion, any kind of discomfort because you are a Christian from those of the outside world, it probably should make you pause. It does me. Am I really living the Christian life? Am I, it said right there, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Well, am I living a godly life? Do I have that desire? Do I make that my, my purpose? Am I really a Christian at all? 
should ultimately be the question. If I'm never suffering for my faith, am I really a Christian at all? But on the flip side, when I see that my life is so distinctly joined with Christ that I am persecuted for it, that I suffer for it, that I'm, uh, you know, uh, uncomfortable because of it, I can say, hmm, I, I see this. I see that, that Christ uh, is in me, that I am saved, that my life is different. I've been changed by him. I'll tell you, when I uh, first began following Christ in my life, I had some serious change in it. I would still go hang out with my friends who, who weren't doing uh, good stuff, and I really wasn't bashing them. Hey, you got to stop doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. You know what the Bible I really wasn't doing that. But I lost a lot of friends during that time. I, I was trying to reach them, but I, I was being, you know, I thought tactful about it. <laughs> Evidently not tactful enough because I stopped getting phone calls, being invited to go do stuff. These were friends that I had, you know, grown up with. It was tough. But I'll tell you another thing. In that exact same time, my friends are walking away from me. I knew that I had a better friend. I had the friend Jesus. I knew for sure. And there was this strange draw of like, oh, I want to cry on this side because I'm losing all my friends. But on this side, I want to rejoice because I've got Jesus. And it, it was the most uh, like confusing time in my life probably because I had this suffering but rejoicing happening at the exact same time. And that was because of this assurance of salvation that comes with suffering for Christ's sake. So that's the first reason. Second reason I want to tell you is suffering for Christ's sake strengthens your faith. Suffering for Christ's sake strengthens your faith. So let me just say this. If you want to be a strong Christian, then you have to embrace suffering for Christ's sake. You have to choose to do the things, to put yourself in the position that things may get real uncomfortable and, and, and you may suffer. You have to choose to do that. I personally have seen so many friends um, that, that have come to Christ, but then they, they never will step out of that comfort zone, and it just seems like they never grow. I mean, I could ask them more theological questions, and they can give me the answers, but somehow they're growing in knowledge, but not godliness. They're not growing in joy. And this is what happens. Uh, Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. We don't have to run away from suffering as Christians. We certainly don't have to run away from suffering for Christ's sake, because we know that that will produce in us this endurance, and this endurance produces in us this character. It's, it's chipping away at us, this, this old man, this old nature that we still drag around with us. It is putting in us, it's clothing us with our new man that, it, that is Christ. This is what suffering does as we, we step out. We start to, to cling to him more. Our faith actually grows. Now the third one, I'm going to try to be quick. Our third one when we suffer for Christ, it actually stores up for us eternal reward. Sometimes I feel like we have forgotten about this because I feel like we would choose to suffer so much more if we really understood this, this concept. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal, right? Why, why would you store up treasures here and make yourself comfortable here? Why, why would you do that when you can have eternal treasure? Well, how do I get that? How do I get that? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, Blessed or happy are you 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice, there's our word, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. We're so afraid that someone will think badly of us if we share the gospel. They'll think, I'm not as cool as them. Come on. Jesus is saying, don't store up that stuff here. Don't worry about your cool points. Don't worry about how much your, your neighbor likes you or doesn't like you. Store up eternal reward. <laughs> Even if they do persecute you, be glad. Rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. I'll give you one last passage for this. I, I feel like God's word speaks a lot more powerfully than I do. Uh, Paul understood this concept very well. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, he says about these trials, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, that's today, right here, right now, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This, this suffering that, that we choose to do for Christ's sake, that we put ourselves in these positions where we might suffer, is actually preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Guys, it is infinitely worth it to step out of our, our safe havens, out of our comfortable little day-to-day -day lifestyles. It is infinitely worth it to step out, to put yourself in a position where you might suffer, to, to, to go ahead and, and speak up. So you might be wondering, and I kind of just uh, gave a hint there, well, I thought that good people did not necessarily get persecuted, so if I'm going to be a good Christian, why would I be persecuted? Don't, don't bad people get persecuted for doing bad things? You might say, oh, that's prosecuted, but anyways, um, they, they don't, doesn't bad people get bad things? Why would I, as a good Christian, be punished for it? And that leads to our next point in your notes. Number two, the joy of sharing. The joy of sharing. The fact is, a joyful Christian will not remain silent. A joyful Christian will not remain silent. So verses 25 through 28, Paul says there, and he's talking of the church and his ministry. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So, so why, why are we persecuted? We're not silent. We're not silent. We, 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 we talk. We, we see, uh, I'm going to show you just a few things in, in these verses. First, just real quick, you see that in verse 25, of which I became a minister. I, me, Paul. He says, the stewardship that was given to me for you. Paul was not afraid to take ownership of this ministry, this ministry that comes from God. He, he we, we can go into it further, but I'm skipping some here. Paul has this ministry, and he takes ownership. Okay, I'm going to do it. But you might think, well, that's cool, but Jesus ha hasn't given me the same ministry as Paul. 
and you're, you're right, Jesus did physically appear. The resurrected Jesus physically appeared to Paul, and he, he converted Paul, and then he called Paul. Hey, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to, to make disciples of, of the Gentiles. He even tells them that he'll suffer. Paul had that happen to him, that he was called to be a minister. And you say, well, see, I haven't been called like that. That hasn't happened to me. Jesus has never told me that I'm a minister. Really? Is that so? <laughs> the word of God is, or sorry, I gave the answer. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus is God. So when the Bible says something, it says that you are to do something, then it is Jesus talking to you in the same way Jesus appeared to Paul. What does the Bible say? I'm not going to go into it too much. 2 Corinthians 5, we've already looked at this the past couple weeks, says that you, if you are a Christian, you are now given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, I became a minister. I'm saying now that the Bible tells you that if you're a Christian, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Ephesians 4, uh, 11 and 12, it says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So you're being taught in this church right now for a reason. And it says, to equip the saints, that's all believers, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. If you are a Christian today, you've been made a minister by God. You have been given something to steward, a ministry to steward. <clears throat> and we should see that, honestly, as a huge honor. We, we heard that in Ephesians, um, the, the reading earlier, that he says that I, I'm the worst of sinners, yet God has, has given it to me to make known the riches of his glory. Paul felt this honor that he could share the gospel of Christ, and he took this responsibility. So I'm asking, do you take responsibility? Do you, do you take ownership? Do you see the honor of what God has called you to do? Can you, with Paul, say, I have become a minister for the sake of Christ? Can you do that? But that might lead us to, well, what is the ministry? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get ordained? No, that, that's not what this is talking about. It says there in verse 25, um, it ends by saying, to make the word of God fully known. That was Paul's primary ministry, to make the word of God fully known. And he say, goes on to say, in verse 26 and, uh, through, yeah, 27, that to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not going to take the time to break that completely apart. There is a lot going on in those two verses. But the basic idea here is, idea here is that the message that we should all be sharing, that Paul was sharing, that we've all been given this ministry, is that Jew and Gentile alike, which is everyone, anyone um, who is an Israeli, not even that, but a Jew, um, or not, that they have now been given the riches of this glorious mystery. They have now been, been given this promise. And what is that? It says there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This would have blown their minds. That's why it's a, minute, uh, uh, a mystery. <laughs> this would have blown their minds. That the Messiah, you know, that he would, he would come and die, that, and that, that he would, you know, be raised from the dead. They didn't know that they'd, they'd get this indwelling Christ, Christ in you. 
And they certainly did not know that people who were separate from the promise, who were not Jews, that they would receive the promise of the Messiah, that they would receive the hope of glory Christ in them. This would have blown their minds. And this is the mystery revealed. That everyone, it doesn't matter what, where they're from, you know, uh, what, what color their skin is, what language they speak, the promise is for them. And Paul wants to make that known. That is the ministry. And that is our ministry as well. We get to share the gospel, the hope of glory to people, without which they will be hopeless. This only, this only will have this salvation if they see Jesus, this hope of glory. And we got to tell them. They will not trust it if they do not hear it. Romans 10 makes that very clear. They need to hear the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to everyone. The power of God unto salvation. We must share it. This is a, a joyful thing. And you say... Okay, but Jeff, again, we're talking about suffering. This whole thing is suffering joyfully for Christ. So why would I suffer for telling people they can have the hope of glory? You know, hey, you get to go to heaven. Just pray this prayer. Why would I suffer for that? Well, that just shows that we might not always share the full message. I mean, let's look at this right here. There's two aspects of sharing the gospel. He says there, him we proclaim, teaching everyone, or sorry, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So there's two aspects. We'll call this first aspect the hard news. I don't want to call it bad news because if you know the good news, it's not such bad news. But anyway, so we'll call it the hard news. What is it that we warn people about? We have to warn them of sin, that they are sinners, that they are rebels against God and that they have only coming for them judgment. That's hard news to tell people. That's an awkward conversation, you know. Uh, you're just talking to someone and say, hey, did you know you're a sinner and that God's wrath is on you? You know, I mean, it, it's hard news. It, this is difficult to do. But it says there that we must proclaim him by warning everyone. People need to know that there is this bad news, that there is a problem. Uh, if you ever hear my wife's testimony, she'll tell you um, when she was, was growing up and people would be, you know, evangelizing her, saying, you need to get saved, you need to trust Jesus, you need salvation. And she would say, saved from what? I don't even, what do I need to be saved from? This makes no sense. What do I, I don't know why I need that. She was only hearing half the gospel. People weren't telling her what she needed to be saved from, and that is sin and punishment that is coming. We got to warn everyone. But obviously, <laughs> if you leave it there, you are cruel because there is the good news. And that's the second aspect. He says they're warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here in this context, this is talking about teach them the good news. Yes, warn them of their sin and the coming judgment, but also teach them the good news. And the good news is not that, that Jesus will make your life fluffy and that he'll make you happy. The good news is that sin that you committed against God, that judgment that you deserve from God, yeah, Jesus took that and paid for it on the cross. Jesus was God, and he came down and took that on the cross. He died for your sins, but then he broke the chains of sin and death 
by being raised from the dead on the third day. And God, through that, says you can have salvation if you will turn from your sin and turn to this Jesus and trust in him. That's the good news. But again, that makes no sense if people don't know the bad news. I, I really think that if you've you know, been sharing the gospel in the past and people are like, oh, that's really cool, that's great, you probably have only shared half the gospel with them. <laughs> it's pretty shocking when someone tells you that they're a sinner. I, I don't want to say that we, we don't do this in a loving way, that we don't do this tactfully and tell them, hey, I'm a sinner too, but Jesus has washed my sins away. I, I would always do that. But we've got to share the full gospel. And that will bring suffering. But think of the honor of carrying the ministry of God onto others. Think of the honor of carrying this message that is the power of God unto salvation. Think of the honor of seeing someone turn from eternal death to eternal life through you, through your words, even through your suffering. That's amazing. It's amazing that we could do that, if we, that we get to work with God in that way. So we have the joy of suffering, the joy of sharing, and now we have, number three in your notes, the joy of showing. We share the message with our mouths, but now we're going to learn about showing it. The joy of showing. Paul said in, in verse 24, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. He says, And I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Uh, man, I don't actually have it in front of me. But any, <laughs> for, for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. I'm going to read that again. I don't want that to miss you. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. If, if you're paying attention, that's a confusing verse right there. <laughs> if you've grown up in the church or, or, or heard much about Jesus, you understand that the Bible says over and over again that what Jesus did was complete. It is finished. Tetelestai, he said on the cross. It is finished. It is complete. What Jesus did is fully sufficient for your salvation. It is fully sufficient for everything you need. But then Christ, or I mean, then Paul says here that in my body, of, or that in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction. It's an interesting thing. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, it is true. <laughs> what Christ did was complete. But let's use a, a, um, a human example of what, what's going on here. Say that you're an artist, okay? You're an artist, um, and you, you decide that you're going to paint a painting. You spend days, months even, painting this painting, getting every detail perfect. And you stand back when you're done, and you say, wow, that, that's exactly what I wanted to do. That's exactly the picture I had in my mind. There it is. It's complete. You sign your name in the bottom right corner. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. It is lacking nothing. So, but you have this beautiful picture. What might be lacking in people seeing that picture? What might be lacking? Just uh, to, to give us an answer here, what's lacking here in this picture, in a sense, is a place to display that picture. You've done all this work. You might even tell them, hey, I spent months painting this painting. You should see the shades of blue over here and the oranges, the way they blend in. You can tell them that, but until there's a place to display it for them, they don't really get to experience it. They don't really get to see the full picture. 
And what Paul is saying here, the way that he is filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, there's, there's a hint here in the verse, I think. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, does Jesus have flesh? Yes. Jesus it, it had, has a, a resurrected, glorified body. Is Jesus here um, with us? I would say again, yes. <laughs> Jesus is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But where is Jesus in fleshly manifestation? He's at the right hand of God right now. I don't see Jesus walking around. I don't see him suffering for my sake. I don't see the tears in his eyes as he loves me. I don't see that. And what Paul is saying, the only thing that was lacking in a sense was displaying the love and the suffering of Christ. That's what he's saying. That people need to see this. It needs to be put on display what Jesus has done for them. And this is what we as Christians, what Paul was doing, we get to do, is we get to display the sufferings of Christ. You might say, well, what does that look like? What does that look like to display the sufferings of Christ? I'm going to give you one practical example. Say you, you, you finally get up the courage. Okay, I'm going to embrace, embrace this. I'm going to share the gospel. You go up to someone and you share the gospel with them. You're, you're telling them sin and punishment. You didn't just share half the gospel, you know. But, but Jesus did all this, and you can have salvation and eternal life. You tell them that, and they start to say, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would you? That's crazy. You, don't you know about science? Don't you know about all these other things? Here's all the reasons you're wrong. Man, you're an idiot for thinking that. <laughs> My flesh in that moment wants to fire right back. You know who's the idiot, buddy? <laughs> it ain't me. That's what I want to tell them. But here's how we suffer for their sake. Did Jesus say that to people? Did he say, hey, you guys are beating me. I'm going to knock you down. I am God. No. Jesus took the beating, and he continued to share the truth in love. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we do as well. We don't fire back. We take the persecution. We don't give it. That is just one example, one small example of how we might show the sufferings of Christ. We're sharing it with our mouths, and then we're showing it. That I, I love my enemies. I bless those who persecute me. I pray for the others who are, are hating me and doing all these things. I'm a Christian. I'm showing Jesus. That is how we share the gospel. That is how we walk the talk. That is how we show the gospel. That's a powerful picture. That people not only hear it with their ears, what Jesus has done, but they see it in our lives. Man, there is a love out there that I don't know anything about, a sacrificial, suffering love for the sake of others. And we get to show that. Guys, there is joy in displaying the most beautiful picture the world has ever seen. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that, that you get to display the most beautiful picture ever seen in your body if you choose to suffer? That's amazing. So why do we do this? What, what happens if you say, you know, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> I don't think I want to choose joy in suffering. I don't want to choose joy in sharing. I don't want to choose joy in showing the sufferings of Christ. I don't want to do that. I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I just don't feel like it. What do you lose when you do that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Number four in your notes. The joy of experiencing. The joy of experiencing, and namely experiencing Jesus, experiencing God. He says in verse 28, the second half, he says, 
that he does all this stuff, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul wants to present everyone mature in Christ. That means that that this is his ministry, that that he would lead people to salvation, and then he would lead them to grow in salvation to maturity. That was his ministry, and that's that's our ministry as well. But then he says something I, I love. He says, for this, this salvation of others, this growth of others, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let me ask you, have you ever felt the power of God working in and through you? Have you ever experienced the God of the universe in that way? Have you ever ever experienced the Savior in that way? So just to use a personal example, I've come to know this very well. When I share the gospel with friends, when I share the gospel with my, my neighbors, when I share the gospel with contractors who come over to my house to do work, or whoever it happens to be, something amazing happens every single time. It may not be immediate. It's not necessarily this immediate thing, but all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but slowly, I begin to feel a new kind of power working in me. I, I, I'm, I'm clinging to God in those moments. I'm saying, God, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. I need you. I need you. And guess what? He comes every time. God is with me every time. I feel this power working through me. If, if all I have for that person is words, it's going to bounce off them like a, a spitball. You know, it's, it's nothing. But when I'm clinging to God, saying, God, I need you to work through me. God, I'm, I, I want you. I want this person to know you. As I'm studying through my Bible to try to think of better ways to share the gospel— all of a sudden, I start to see new things in the Bible that I didn't know were there. <laughs> all of a sudden, when I'm in the middle of sharing the gospel, I, I share things that had never even occurred to me before, of the beauties of the gospel and the way it applies to their life. There is a power that comes when we choose to suffer, when we choose to share, when we choose to show the gospel that comes in no other way. So I want to tell you, if you choose as a Christian to be comfortable, you choose to miss out on experiencing Jesus. And I do, I want to be real honest here. This is an amazingly uh, uh, well-taught church. We, we know a lot, but I am terrified for myself, for you, and for, for all of us that we might just learn a bunch of stuff about Jesus and never experience Jesus. I'm afraid that that we won't make the hard choice to follow the road of Jesus. And so guess what? We don't get to walk with him if we're not going down his path. I I fear that we we will learn these things and say, no, but I'm I'm still going to stay comfortable. Jesus told me to pick up my cross. My cross looks like reading my Bible in the morning. Not not suffering and sharing and showing his suffering. That's not not what mine's going to look like. And I really believe that so many people, again, they hit this ceiling in their walk with God. They may grow in knowledge, but they don't grow in godliness. They don't grow in joy. And I really believe this is one of the main differences. They're not just learning about Jesus. They're sharing Jesus. They're showing Jesus. They're suffering for him. 
and they're learning to cling to him. They're learning to see his power. Their faith is growing. Their assurance of salvation is growing. And they have this joy that they're stirring up, storing up eternal rewards. People grow. I really, I've seen so many guys, same age, same kind of guys. One will choose to share, he grows. The other one says, nope, I'm not doing it. He just never really grows. Never gets to experience the God of the universe. So I want to ask you today, beg you really, that if God has spoken to you, choose the joyful road. Choose to put yourself in the position that you might suffer for his sake. Choose the road that, that seeks to share the gospel as much as possible and doesn't worry about what persecution might come from it. Because when you do this, when you choose to do these things, you say, I will find joy in suffering. You're choosing to experience Jesus. You get to experience his power, his joy. John 15, 11 is one of my favorite verses. Um, it says, I tell you these things, these, these commands, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus never asks us to do a single thing to rob us of joy. Everything he asks us to do is only so that his joy may be in us, and our joy may be full. Now some of you, I understand, may say, I haven't even accepted this, Jesus, and your message so far doesn't make me necessarily want to be a Christian of how I can suffer. Again, if you're going to try to find joy outside of Jesus, it will not happen. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing it in, in piddly little hobbies and, and relationships, and every one of them will let you down. Every one of them. But Jesus, even though his road is difficult, it is full of joy. You can choose him today. You can say, I'm turning away from my sin, and I'm clinging to Jesus no matter what that looks like for my life. I want to ask everyone in here who, who has trusted in Jesus, I just want to make this real concrete for us. Before we pray, I want you to think of one person. If you can think of more, great. Think of one person you know that does not have a relationship with Jesus. Think of that one person. And I, I want you to, during this prayer time, during communion time, to say, God, would you give me the courage? Would you give me the clear, clarity of thought to choose to suffer with you and have this type of joy and experience you by sharing with them the gospel? God, would you give me an opportunity and let me walk down that path? If you say, I can't think of anyone, I would say to you, pray to God that he would show you someone, that he would lead you to someone. Pray that he would show you a way to come into contact with non-believers this week. That, this, that there are feet on, on the obedience this week that you share with this person. You pray about it. Ask God to do it. I know that'll be difficult. Some of you say, I, I can think of someone, but it sounds hard. It's joy. The joy of Jesus. Joyfully suffering with Christ. This is a deep joy that comes nowhere else. We've already seen his supremacy, right? <laughs> We've seen that the past two weeks. He is supreme. You want to enjoy this Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, not everything in your word is easy for us to hear. God, we like our comfortable lives. We like staying safe. 
We want people to like us. We don't want to to rock the boat at work. We want our family relationships to be good. But God, you've asked us to take a road that is joyful, yet also has some suffering in it. And you've done this so that people can have the hope of glory, Christ in them, the God of the universe who died for their sins. They can have him for eternity, God. God, would you put it in our hearts? The person or people you want us to share the gospel with this week. God, don't let us find comfortability or peace unless we obey you on this. God, we don't want fake, cheap joy. We want joy that comes only from obeying you. We want joy that brings you glory. And we want joy that doesn't fade. God, we pray these things knowing that it's only by your power that we could do this. It's only by by your grace that we even have this salvation. It's by your grace that we get to share the gospel. It's by your grace that we get to show the gospel. And it is certainly by your grace that we can find deep joy even in suffering. God, change our hearts. Help us to choose to follow Jesus down his path of sharing and suffering for the sake of others and their eternity. And for your glory, God, I pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.